The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live, an ongoing series of conversations about uh, the technology investment world. I am excited to have with me today Dan Ives, technology analyst at Wedbush, who I think many of you know, who covers many companies in the tech sector. And what a fantastic time to be uh, be talking about tech stocks. Um, Dan, welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Um, yeah, Dan, it's great to be here. Thanks for let, having let's me. Talk, let's talk a little bit about the broader environment. So tech has gone through this wild period of gyrations. We had fantastic returns during much of the pandemic. Things started to get a little, go a little south um, starting uh, in the fall as interest rates began to creep up and people began to um, suspect that the Fed was going to raise rates and the Fed has basically now said they're going to raise rates. And now we have this wild card of the geopolitical situation with terrible situation in Ukraine uh, that is adding to the volatility. You have many stocks that have huge losses here. Um, and yet it's still probably the best place you can go to find uh, find sources of growth. Um, give me, first of all, before we get into some of the individual sectors and names, give me your general sense of where we are in this process of, uh, of navigating through these uh, difficult macro issues. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been an episode of the Twilight Zone is the best way I could explain in terms of navigating. I mean, look, 21 years doing it, a lot of cycles, a lot of complexity, but it is a Rubik's Cube backdrop because on one hand, there's the fundamental piece where clearly bifurcation in tech, work from home, e-commerce names fading, multiples are compressing even ahead of that. So you have a lot of these stocks down 60, 70, 80%. And outside isolated M&A, you really haven't seen too much acquisitions. On the other hand, you look at growth on cloud, cybersecurity, enterprise, it's it's the strongest we've seen in the last nine to 10 years, and there's no pull forward. So I, I think it's complicated because, of course, in the 10-year, risk off, geopolitical is added to that, continues to be sort of a yo-yo in terms of the way tech trades. That's why, Eric, I, I like to look at like specific subsectors, almost mm-hmm. a basket, defensive and offensive. But in my opinion, it's the most oversold tech stocks that I've seen in probably the last six to seven years. So, so lots of opportunity if you have, but you need to have a little bit of, uh, you need to have stomach for it, I would imagine, right? Well, I think because you're going to continue to see that volatility, you see a lot of these names that they're not going to trade on fundamentals, even knee jerk. They could report earnings stocks up 10% after market 24 hours later, it's down 4% for no reason. So th- th- that's why I think you're going to continue to sort of navigate this in terms of where it's all going. But I think that ultimately, especially even in geopolitical horrific scenes that everyone's seeing, but if you look at historically geopolitical, it's created the opportunities. If you own the right names in terms of the right spaces, Okay, so on that uh, on that score, uh, one thing that you've been uh, pretty bullish about and have written about repeatedly is the opportunity in cybersecurity and cybersecurity software. 
Um, those stocks have done actually fairly well uh, since the start of the crisis in the Ukraine. You've seen stocks like Palo Alto Networks and um, uh, uh, and a bunch of others that have done very well here. How do you feel about the group and how do you think about one, I think one challenge for the for this group of stocks for some people is trying to distinguish what they all do. It happens to be a group mm-hmm. where there are many, many names. Like this is a, uh, there's no single standout, like dominant player in this group and there never really has been. Um, how do you think about uh, how people should approach this? Um, is there still time to get in? We missed some of the move here. I miss some of the move, but I believe it's a golden age for cybersecurity. And unfortunately, we're seeing Ukraine, Russia, cyber warfare. That's only going to increase and just give talents the overall spending that we're seeing. Look, I think you got to play with a basket approach. You know, I think first off, the next gen, I'll call it the zero trust players. You got names like CrowdStrike, Zscale, or Sentinel One, you know, and, and even Cloudflare. I think there's a basket to sort of approach and, and play that space. I think Palo Alto is probably the one that continues to stick out in terms of a re-rating name because what we're seeing in terms of the transition to cloud, I think we've started to see that move, but there's no reason we can't see a 30 40% move from here. Love names like Tenable, Vulnerability, names like SailPoint, Identity. So I think there's a lot of ways to play it, but I like more the basket approach rather than the one individual name because if you just own a Zscale or you just own an Okta, obviously a lot more risk, especially in this type of volatility. Right. Okay. So that's, that's good advice. And I, I would presume that um, it seems to me that the appeal there in part is even if we get some resolution of the situation in the Ukraine, um, even before that, like the, the need for the, what these companies offer is like forever. Right. I mean, the, there's the, this isn't like we're going to solve the cybersecurity problem and it yeah. goes away. That's exactly. It. I mean, think like work from home comes and goes moderation, you know, necessarily some of these names like Zoom and others. You look at cybersecurity. I mean, 40 percent of workloads are in the cloud today. So we believe that goes to 70 percent in the next two years. More and more workloads move to the cloud needs to be protected, more vulnerability points more zero trust, more focus even on some of the firewalls and other types of advanced threats, that's just going to continue to increase. And that's why, like, you could this year, cybersecurity is actually going to accelerate in 22 over 21, which is why we view that as almost a pocket of strength. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I think it's, and also it's a space too with overall tech. I think a lot of these stocks are way oversold in terms of how we've seen it play out. So let's um, what, what a stock that you've written a ton about and continue to follow closely and been uh, very bullish on is Apple. And, you know, Apple, uh, we got clo- at the end of last year, there was a lot of attention. Apple was getting close to a three trillion dollar market cap. Um, and it seemed like they could do no wrong. Now, they've 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 been hurt a little bit by the market, although they, the stock has held up better than a lot of other things have. Um, and there's a lot of excitement about a few things from Apple that we haven't we haven't actually seen yet, right? So there's excitement about AR, VR glasses. There's excitement about maybe they're working on a car. I mean, everybody thinks they're working on something in that space. We haven't seen it yet. Um, and of course, you know, at some point, we're going to start to hear more buzz about the next, about iPhone 14, which is, you know, we're really, we're what, six months away from from seeing what the new generation of iPhones might look like. How are you feeling about Apple here? 
does the fact, I mean, again, the stock's held up a little better than other things, but we, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't gotten past that $3 trillion level. What's your, what's your current take on Apple? Well, I think, look, it's a safety name. It's almost a rock of Gibraltar in a storm. You know, in terms of, as in the amount of things Apple performed in terms of large cap tech, along with Microsoft. But when I look at this, this is one where we're still only halfway through the upgrade cycle in terms of that install base, nine to 75 million iPhones worldwide, still about 25% haven't upgraded. So that's going to continue to be a tailwind for Apple over the coming years. China's actually a big piece of the growth, about 20% of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think you look at services, I remember me and you talking right after the Epic suit came out, you know, back right. in, you know, September. And, I think it just shows Teflon-like, and that services business is going to grow mid-teens. We think that's worth still 1.4, 1.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. So I think to get to 210, 215, you're not even including AR, VR, Apple Car, and some of the other additions, which is why I like to look at Apple on some of the parts spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think we got a lot of excitement coming. I think AR, VR, Apple Glass gets released either at WWDC or potentially in the fall. But I think it will be around for, for holidays. And then I think ultimately with Apple Car, I mean, we continue to view it as when, not if, uh, th- that they get into EVs, especially on the full self-driving, mm-hmm. you know, as they partner. And I think Apple is a name where in these types of markets is easy to kind of, you know, I think you'll start to see the stock, you know, sell off like a lot of large cap tech. I actually view it, that's really been the opportunity because fundamentally, especially supply chain shortage, Mm-hmm. Numbers are underestimated by eight to ten percent. So it's interesting. So I, I want to dig in on a couple of those things. So when you think about AR and VR, um, do you, do you think the opportunity there is uh, sort of a I don't know more akin to something like the Apple Watch, where it's a you know a modest addition to the to the TAM, or are we talking about you know some people think in the long run maybe this replaces the iPhone. Like maybe in the long run, we don't need to carry a you know a rectangle with, of glass in our pocket, and it's we can see everything we need you know on glasses all the time. Yeah, uh, and I think you think about that. I mean, I think it's somewhere in between. I, I think it's more akin to the AirPods. I mean, AirPods you'll have about a hundred million units sold this year. If you go back with AirPods, many of you to like they were never going to get above ten to fifteen million annually. Now, price points on Apple Glass will be much higher, right? I mean, that that will obviously change the, the right. dynamics. But but um, but when I look at Apple Glass, I think with the AR, VR, and the metaverse, despite the chaos and the global geopolitical that we're in today, that's still going to be there in the coming years, right? And I think Apple's going to play a big piece of it. But I do believe, like, under the covers, there's a lot of innovations going on in Cupertino. Not just Apple Glass, not just about Apple Car and full self-driving, but even when you look at like chips and Apple Silicon, I mean, that's been mm-hmm. huge in terms of what they've been able to accomplish. Right. It's really made a difference uh, in particular in the Mac business where it's been reinvigorated and they're outgrowing the market. And uh, yeah, it's uh, trying to predict exactly what they're going to do next is a little bit of a difficult, a difficult <laughs> exercise because they will surprise you. And, um, you know, no one saw AirPods really coming, for example, and they've turned into a big business. Um, I, I'm curious on cars. So let's 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 uh, shift gears a little bit. No pun intended. Talk about cars. Um, I, and you've been bullish on on Tesla. Um, and uh, I wonder how you think about Apple as a potential threat to Tesla. 
does it can they do they want to do the same thing do they want to do you think they they try and emulate tesla's model or do you think it's maybe it's maybe i mean there's a lot of expectation they they would likely partner with someone on the manufacturing side unlike tesla yep. for example what do you think the model would be I think the model is really for them to partner at first. You know, we've talked about VW, potentially Ford, potentially Hyundai. Um, you know, so I think there's a there's definitely a partnering at, in terms of how they probably start off. But in terms of going after Tesla and just the overall market, I mean, I think Apple looks at it like three percent automobiles or electric vehicle today. That's right. going to ten percent by twenty five. 25% by 2030. They don't want to be on the outside looking in. And that's why you continue to see this sort of arms race playing out, whether it comes to EVs, autonomous. But for Apple, look, and you, you know Apple as well as anyone, I think they do it kind of like toe in the water. They'll start to partner eventually, potentially through Foxconn, build their own, you know, ultimately Apple car. But the last thing is you don't want to see them take their eye off the ball. Partnering, I think, would give street most comfort right. know, in terms of where they could potentially head. Right. Well, in particular, because they don't do any of their own manufacturing now. So the idea that they would be running factories is a little hard to, to get your head around. Um, and so I think you're probably right. Partnering with a manufacturer seems more likely Apple style. Uh, and even the margins, it. right? Like on that core business, really. I mean, from their pristine margins today. They're really focused on the software, the FSD, getting Eric, Dan, Gene, whoever else in that car, more of that cross-sell, more of the ecosystem. Right, right. So, so um, let's talk a little bit about the EV space and the AV space more generally. Um, Tesla, of course, is the large player here. How are you feeling about Tesla? And 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 then there's a whole set of smaller, like, aggressive emerging players here that have been tough places to make money as an investor. Smaller, which have gotten smaller. Yeah, which have gotten smaller. So talk a little bit about first Tesla and then how you think about the sort of the next tier. I mean, I think if, if Musk wasn't on the conference call, stock's probably $200 higher. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think, look, that's the frustration is that if you look production-wise, demand what's happened at Giga Austin, Berlin, which will now start to, to ramp up. Supply should be up to 2 million units, you know, for the, by, by the end of 2020. That'll double to what 2021 is for Tesla. Massive share and, and that ironclad grip, uh, especially on the EV market. I think part of the overhang on the stock, okay, we could talk about risk off, but it, a lot of it has been like the stock sale, the polls, the circus right. stuff that, that we've seen with Musk. And I think that's why, you know, for, I think for, for Tesla, you almost have to separate fundamentally gaining more and more share, mm -hmm. especially in China. But this is going to be an arms race, right? Look at Ford and GM combined selling, you know, the, they'll be spending 60 billion combined, Stellantis and other companies. And you got a hundred automakers going after EV. Tesla has target on their back. I think some of that is more perceptions, more in reality in terms of what, what's going to happen. But I continue to view Tesla base case as they execute just fourteen hundred. So, so one other thing about cars that I'm intrigued by is you picked up coverage of General Motors. Now, 
that's not a stock most tech analysts follow, at least not directly. Yeah. Um, that's quite unusual. Uh, you, you may be the only person covering Apple and General Motors at the same time. Um, what made you decide to pick up GM and how are you feeling about GM as an EV player? Well, because, I mean, it's a great question because I more and more, like, I don't view, G well, first of all, like, Tesla I've never viewed as an automotive company. I've always viewed as disruptive technology player. And obviously EV is a huge passion of ours as well as our research. GM more and more as well as Ford. I mean, they're doubling down on EVs. I mean, eventually by 2035, there'll be all EVs. So I view GM more and more as an EV conversion story, vertical integration, similar as Ford. And I think that's why I cover it because I, you know, I've always viewed a lot of the EV companies have been viewed, I wouldn't say wrongly, but I think many and many traditional car or automotive experts, they view it as just, they see a wall, it's a red wall, it's a blue wall. That's what they are at the car company. Right. Widgets, X times Y. You know, where I feel like more and more the vertical integration is key. And that's been a, and that's a big part of the re-rating that we're seeing VW and Ford and GM. But ultimately, it's why Tesla trades where it does. Right. So would you buy, uh, do you have a preference between GM and Tesla? Would you buy them both? And, and then let's get to some of the smaller names which have sure. been tough places to be as an investor. Yeah. And um, so Tesla, I don't know over GM, just because I feel like Tesla is the best pure play way to play EVs. 25, 30 hours earnings power, 2025. You're playing the Giga ramp, both in Austin and Berlin, the 4680 chip. Right. Supply chain. So I feel like Tesla can be the best way to play EVs. But it goes back to someone talking about cybersecurity. Like, do you think a little bit of a backup? You want to own some of the traditional stores on re-rating Ford, GM, VW, because I think those could get re-rated. And you know, when you talk about some of the smaller names, like I like names like Lifecycle, Supply Chain Play, I like names like Wejo, which is a big data automotive play. Right. Um, you know, and then I think on the OEM side, I mean, it's tough going, right? It's tough sledding because, you know, Lucid, obviously it's soft production numbers. Lordstown, that's been a, you know, train wreck situation. Faraday is another one. You know, a lot of black clouds over. Rivian. Look, now Rivian, and we'll get their earnings next week. I mean, Rivian's been, obviously came out to a lot of hype. I believe Rivian is going to revolutionize the industry. I think Rivian needs to grow into valuation. Right. I view it similar as I viewed it, what's called Facebook when, when, when they went public. Supply chain issues have been a, you know, definitely been a headwind for RJ and the team. So I feel like next week I view as a step forward for Rivian. And that's one like, you know, we feel really comfortable owning that name for investors over the next 12, 18, 24 months. I want to play EVs. So um, I want to come back to, uh, we, brief, we briefly mentioned Microsoft uh, earlier, and uh, I, I've been uh, quite excited about uh, the opportunities in Microsoft here. And, and I, I think that uh, sometimes it gets a little lost. I, you know, the, I think the story in Microsoft has been so good uh, that it's almost a, a little bit underappreciated. Um, you know, you talk about ways to play the cloud. Um, that seems like a fantastic way to play the cloud. Um, and, and so I'm curious about your thinking about Microsoft here um, and 
what you think the drivers are for the stop. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point because look, I mean, move to the cloud. It's only forty percent of workers move to the cloud. So of course, Amazon's been the leader. But you look what Microsoft and the Dell. I mean, they've had the golden touch in Redmond, and nothing more and more conversion to cloud, the subscription shift with three sixty five and on Office. I mean, I think it's to me this is a name. On one hand, defensive safety. On another hand, you know, offensive. And I think that's why you've started seeing more aggressive Activision. I, I expect that they'll also do a cybersecurity acquisition before the year is done. Uh, you know, especially given where they play in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And I think Microsoft continues to be the best pure play way to play the cloud. And they look the haters. You'll still get the haters be like, can't buy it here. I still think when 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 I compare. Microsoft to let's say our conversations with customers massively underestimated in terms of the growth. So would you, would you, if you were looking for a cloud play and um, you know, I think one of the interesting questions that you, I think from an investor point of view is do you try and pick granular names, right? Do you try and like direct plays the sort of snowflakes of the world or do you play the big public cloud players who just happen to be buried inside much larger businesses, right? So it's Amazon and Google um, and Microsoft. Do you have a preference among that group? Would you would you pick Microsoft above Amazon and Alphabet here? I would just because it's pure play. Because Amazon, like you, you're on, let's say, an AWS re-rating, but there's still the e-commerce peach with, you know, right. in a COVID environment, we'll see moderating. GCP for Google, definitely emerging. And I think, I think Korean's done a great job there. But, you know, ultimately, Microsoft's a pure play, which is why I continue to love that. But you can name like Snowflake, you can name like Datadog, MongoDB is another name, some of that cloud big data, you know, names where I, I continue to love. So I think there's a lot, look, there's a lot of pickings here. In this sell-off, it's easy to just sit there and almost get, you know, sort of negative looking at those red screens every day. But I think that's ultimately really what creates the opportunity, especially when it's macro-driven right? rather than fundamental, especially coming off of probably the strongest earnings season we've seen in 20 quarters. So um, let's talk a little about the metaverse. So, you know, it's interesting in Microsoft's case, uh, they are trying, you know, they've, they've made this offer for Activision, which um, is in some ways a pure kind of metaverse play. It's really a software, you know, gaming mm-hmm. software play, but although there are implications of that with uh, World of Warcraft and some of the other assets they're buying. But I wonder how you feel about the metaverse opportunity overall. Um, how do you feel about Meta's stock here? I'm not sure if you formally cover them or not, actually. Uh, but like, how do you feel about that? I know there's some smaller players that you've written about uh, before. What's your take on the Metaverse opportunity? Well, look, I think in this market and a risk-off, it's hard to have Metaverse plays, right? And, and I think because it's still not for another three, four years off in terms of the monetization. That's that's why I think you've seen a lot of these stocks sell off from Unity to Matterport, a lot of the gaming plays. Look, I think from a, from a metaverse, I think Microsoft continues to be the best pick just because of Activision. I mean, I think tangentially Electronic Arts you know, is a play there. But when, when I look at sort of how this all plays out, you look at Meta, 
I mean, the Apple iOS changes have done what the Beltway in Brussels couldn't. It's brought down Facebook. They could change their name every week if they want, but their core business model is really under attack. And I, I still think that's sort of catching a fallen knife here in terms of owning that name. Right. And it, it hasn't really shown any signs of life since they missed the quarter. I mean, the you've seen some other names where you see a big decline and then you get a little bit of, you know, bottom fishing kind of the stock bounces and it's not bouncing. It, it just seems well, like the sentiment's shifted. And I think the fundamentals have changed. Like the big... Sometimes, like a company will miss earnings, stocks down thirty percent. You know, my team and you know, talk to investors. You're like, is this has the thesis changed? Sometimes that's an opportunity, right? right? Other times, like the thesis changed. I feel like with Meta, Facebook, whatever you want to call it, thesis has changed fundamentally. It's changed because of Apple iOS now Google is going to pile on. Okay. Um, you know, another uh, another area I wanted to touch on is um, uh, ride sharing. So you cover Uber and Lyft. Um, you know, the, they've been difficult stocks, right? They've not been good performers going back to, from the time they both they've went They've been public. disasters. Since they've been exactly disastrous like performers. They were obviously really badly hurt during the, uh, the pandemic. If no one was traveling or going to work, like the, obviously the volumes dropped. Uber that had some offset, of course, from Uber Eats and, and delivery. Um, it feels like they should both be uh, emerging uh, back into the spotlight here with as as people begin to return, uh, you know, return uh, to travel. You know, I, I happened to be traveling over the weekend. I was in Las Vegas uh, visiting some family, and um, the airport was hopping. Um, Vegas is super busy. Um, the strip was, you know, crowded. Um, and, and it does feel like people are beginning to go back to work. Not everywhere. Downtown San Francisco is still kind of a ghost town. Um, but how are you feeling about Uber and Lyft and their potential to really kind of accelerate out of this decline? And then how do you think about valuation here? It's, they're, they're difficult stocks to value is my sense. You no, know, they are because you, especially Uber, because you got to look at ride sharing as well as the delivery business. And look, and, and they've been difficult because, in theory, now you're starting to see profitable businesses that are starting to ramp, starting to see almost a recovery story play out, a reopening. But then you have some of the issues with, from a driver shortage perspective, you have some issues in terms of some of the regulatory in terms of employee versus contract. So I think there's a lot more promotions. And I think that's why the stocks have continued to sort of be under pressure. More and more of an overhang. You know, I do believe 22 is a year that these stocks actually emerge. Because they're profitable business models. As you look at the trajectory, I think street has pretty conservative numbers out there. You're going to start to really see, especially with the whip, some of the pure plays, I think a massive rebound demand peak travel but it's one of those like they, they become self-fulfilling prophecies a lot of investors i've talked to institutional they're just like been there done that it's hard to own them and then all of a sudden like they'll, they'll go through a good string and then they'll have some news they'll sell off some some regulatory issue i think that's why they've been frustrating stocks but i think the risk reward on uber 
and, and Lyft as well, but I think especially Uber, you know, I view it as pretty compelling here relative to where I see it. So you pick Uber over Lyft because why? Global. I like the I like the global aspect. I think deliveries, even though it moderates, that's still been actually a pretty strong business in terms of you know the, the growth for Uber. And I think that's one where it's oversold relative to where we see some of the recovery. I mean, look, if you look, that stock, it's up after the quarter. They have an analyst day. They gave fine guidance, but knee-jerk reaction, stocks sold off. So I think oversold. And I think that's a theme. Like, no analyst day here. Any target across the board, they just take the stock down. Yeah, you know, I I saw that with uh, – I was – Actually, it went to the most recent, uh, the recent Intel analyst day. And it was really telling from that standpoint, because you had an environment where, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about Intel and uh, Pat Gelsinger gets up on stage and super bullish and like rah-rah and like lays out like a long-term path to return to double-digit growth and actually says on stage, it was kind of remarkable, actually says on stage, like, we're a double-double, we can double our EPS from here. And we, we think if we can do that, we could double the multiple on the stock from here. And he's telling people the stock is going to be a four bagger, right? Which is pretty unusual for a high profile CEO to do. And, um, and, you know, the market reaction was kind of like, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> and the stock no, but, really but Eric, it's a, but to your point, it's almost like it's either like too bullish Lofty numbers can't hit. Street takes it down. Right. Conservative must be something wrong out there. They give some target. Uh, it's you know it doesn't it doesn't hit whisper expectations. Take the stock down. You know and and I think that's why like it's been look it's been going back to your first question. It's been I think just a very difficult environment to navigate because. Fun, a lot of these stocks been macro-driven, geopolitical. Geopolitical is like a yo-yo, 10-year. You know, you see the yield come down. It's bullish or tech, tech, you know, ultimately moves. Next day, it's the exact reversal. And I think that's why it's been such a frustrating tape. So I, I want to uh, – so as we're, we're, we've got just a couple minutes to go here. And I, I do want to sort of uh, kind of – redo a little bit of a reset. Like if you were, if you were going to, uh, if you had a portfolio manager calls you and said, Dan, um, give me like two or three stocks that I should really be buying today, either because they're, they've, they're oversold or just like the long-term story is great. What are your favorite names right now? Well, I think in cyber it's power and tenable. I, I mean, those are the two, like, there's two. Those are the ones to me that clearly stick out because of the shift to the cloud and because of the risk rewards. Also, I think Tenable is an M&A candidate. And, and, and let's talk, talk for a second about what Tenable actually does because I, I don't think it's a name that a lot of people necessarily know. Yeah, and Tenable is one like as more cloud, more applications move to the cloud, there's a lot of vulnerability points, a lot of compliance issues, a lot of threat. It gives IT companies basically like a watchtower over their their shift to the cloud, making sure that any threats, any vulnerabilities are ultimately stopped. And especially in this environment, I mean, even when I look back at this weekend, a lot of 
individuals I was talking to, whether in the Beltway or within the enterprise, I mean, all odds of threats. You look at names like Tenable. Of course, there's names like Palantir, Zscale, or CrowdStrike and others, but significant Beltway exposure too. Okay. And then outside of cyber, what else? It, it, it's Microsoft and Apple. I mean, if I, if I can own five names, it's two cyber, it's Microsoft, it's Apple, and then it's Tesla to play EV. I mean, there were five names that I could own. Those would be them. That's so interesting. Okay. And what is in, in, um, is there anything you would, what would you tell people don't, don't go there? Like, like, like maybe not shorty, like shorty exactly, but where do you think the, the risk is just too high? I think bottom fishing on some of the EV names, you know, the stock was a 10. Now it's a two can't get worse. A lot of competition, regulatory, you know, some of these companies have shot themselves in the foot. And it's a dangerous game when, when you start to bottom fish in, a, in very uh, murky waters. Yeah, I was looking this morning. I wrote a little story about um, uh, Vroom, the used car dealer. And, uh, and what was striking was, you know, they went public mid-20, at uh, like June 20 at um, – maybe 22 23 and this, they opened at 40 in the 40s and they traded up a few months later they were in the 70s and uh today the stock is three and change and it just shows you like going into the call right so going they their stock's down about 40 percent today and what and so you know you could argue wow the stock was down so much from the peak um but just being down is not a reason to own to own stock. Also, if someone said Wagyu beef for three dollars, it's cheap, but you might end up in the hospital if you ate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, we should wrap things up. Dan, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks this for having me. Do. We should do it again soon. Um, always appreciate uh, your your work and your help and your enthusiasm. Uh, um, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Um, um, for everyone else, please join us again tomorrow. Uh, actually, Dan, you can join us tomorrow. Um, we'll have Howard, the former dean of Columbia Business School, will be here to talk to Market Watch senior reporter Greg Robb about the challenges the Fed faces in trying to control inflation. It is a hot topic. You should uh, plan to be with us. Thanks to everyone for being here. Be well and be safe. Thanks very much. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.